pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Brad, this is the happiest that we've probably been in quite a while talking about baseball because the lockout is officially over. Spring training has officially begun. And we're going to have a special guest that we're going to bring on here in a second. But it is Saturday. We're recording on a Saturday. A, because of all the news and all the the information. But B, you're also going to be taking some time away to spend with the family. So this will more than likely be our weekly podcast for uh for the for the next the next week um it's a there, it's possible that i may try to do another show at some point during the week yeah uh, but we'll oh, probably yeah. have two shows or so without you on it and then you're going to be co- you're coming back pumped up regular season will be right around the corner yeah and we'll be good to go yeah i'll be coming back i think uh well probably about uh 10 days before the regular season starts, man. It, it's going to be a whirlwind. It already has been. Uh, lots of signings happening. And, and we kind of, I think we kind of knew that Saturday, Sunday, um, after the lockout was kind of going to be a little bit more of the crazy time. Uh, and we're starting to hit that with some pitchers going. And uh, we're waiting for. We're waiting for some hitting signings <laughs> for the Giants. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, get, MLB Network posted our our potential lineup. Our projected lineup and it, it, <laughs> yeah we, I, we I a, grabbed that i grabbed yeah, that you okay, sent it good. to me i grabbed it yeah we will talk through this we don't want with to hurt jeff and get his and get his thoughts on this okay <laughs> also because it is a saturday noonish time that we're doing this uh you know we're not we're not drinking we're we're, we're drinking coffee so yeah we, we got we got our coffee well you know no no cocktails this early but uh, it's going to be a fun show, so let's hit the intro music, and then we'll bring in Jeff. Bedrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over. 27 years of waiting have come to an end. The Giants have won the pennant. All right, welcome Jeff Young from around the Foghorn. Jeff, thanks for jumping on with us. I know you are about to be uber busy with your writing because of everything that's about to happen. Uh, and we're going to get to all of that. But first, you know, Brad and I have, uh, as sort of passionate hobbyists with this podcast, content creation, your what you do is actually quite interesting to, to the both of us. So I kind of want to talk about a, a little bit about the, the writing uh, at around the foghorn that uh, on the Twitter, you are called the site expert. Um, and so I just kind of want to get a little bit of background. Like how did you get into the gig and you've been doing it for five years? I'm assuming that comes with a, a deep fandom for the giants as well. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Um, I, I appreciate it. It's great to chat baseball with you guys, you guys and it's it's great to, uh, you know, chat about baseball no longer in hypotheticals now that the lockout is <laughs> over. It's It was, um, I don't know how you guys did it, but uh, man, creating content during during the lockout, it's the second time in, in three years for me. It, it's really like... Um, it's really like pulling teeth. Uh, there's just not a whole lot to write about. And um, you really have to go to the evergreen 
topics like Buster Posey's, you know, <laughs> best moments in a Giants uniform, which is something that everyone wants to read about, but it it, it takes a lot of time to to put that together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for the introduction. I, I've been writing at a round of Foghorn for about four or five years now. I started out as a contributor. And, um, you know, I, I moved up to the, uh, the side expert role when, when that role opened up and, and I've been doing it for, uh, close to two years now. So, um, it's, it's a blast to do. Uh, I, I just love, you know, I, I've always loved writing and, and of course I've always been a huge baseball fan, especially the Giants. So it's, it's, you know, putting two hobbies together. It really, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's enriching to be able to do uh, pretty much on a daily basis. I, I try to get something out uh, pretty much every day. So that's, uh, that's kind of uh, what I do right now. <laughs> so uh, how do you juggle this passionate hobby of yours, obviously, which includes watching a ton of Giants baseball and having to follow the team uh, in a very close way with your, you know, with your normal everyday gig? Like, how, how do you do that? Well, it's uh, I'm moonlighting uh, essentially uh, with with this gig. My my day job is accounting. I do it for a winery, and I've been doing accounting for close to ten years now. Um, I mean, that's one. It's it's one of those challenges that I like. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where it's you know you do something that you're good at, and and then on the side do something that you love, and and it's one of those things that. Um, it helps create a little little balance in life because you're not just always doing work. Um, but yeah, my, my day job is accounting. So I, at night, I try to get an article or two out every day. Um, so once I get home, I take the dog out for a walk. Uh, I, uh, I make some dinner and I start writing. So that, that's kind of my routine on a daily basis. So obviously, because you're writing about baseball... This is something that you probably had been wanting to do for quite a long time. Did you ever, when you were growing up, think about, you know, becoming a reporter or getting out on the beat and covering sports or, or you know, in any sport? Because I know you're a big sports, Bay Area sports fan. Uh, did, but was that something that you thought about doing before going into accounting? Um, I, I gotta say not necessarily. It's something I didn't really think about until the kind of opportunity presented itself. I always wanted to do something with writing because I was always, uh, pretty, I always considered myself pretty good at writing. Um, so I, I mean, it was just putting two hobbies together. Um, you know, once I got the chance and, and it's something that, that I've enjoyed doing ever since then. Um, but I can't say it's, it's, you know, a dream of mine to, to go on the beats and all that stuff. Um, it, it sounds like a fun experience and yeah, I, I appreciate listening to, um, guys like Kerry Crowley and, and, um, uh, Evan Weeback, who's, who's new to the beat now, Andrew Bagley, Alex Pavlovich. I, I really enjoy hearing their experiences. Um, but I can't say it's something that I'd be interested in doing on a daily basis. Um, just because I, I mean, my career is so grounded in accounting at this point, it's, it's kind of hard to pivot. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's one of those things, it's, it's still a hobby I like doing. I went, I guess, on the beat one time in, in when I was at KMBR. So Chris, Chris Townsend, who now works for the Oakland Days, sure. he was doing the Weekend Insider Show with Larry Kruger. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he tells me, and this is back, uh, gosh, where they, they may have, st- it may have been the last year at Candlestick, actually, now that I think about it. Yep. So... He goes, hey, do you want to go to the park? And I was like, awesome. I, I mean, I didn't know what all of that meant. I just, thought, you know, we'll, you know, we'll go, we'll go in the clubhouse and we'll talk to some guys, and you can help me and hold the microphone and do all this stuff. So I was like, <laughs> oh, cool. You know, I was still, I, I probably was still an intern at that point. And so uh, we go in there, and for, for I, I want to say it's Giants Phillies or something like this. Is probably ninety seven, uh, ninety eight, or right around that time frame. We talked to so he we had gone I think on a on a Saturday, but we wanted to talk to the starting pitcher for Sunday because his show is on Sunday. So they get sound, they talk around interviews and all that stuff. And so we go, we get all the sound. We're there probably like I don't know, I'd say about two hours before game time. And he's like, "All right, let's go." I'm like, "Oh, we're not staying for the game. We're just going <laughs> into the locker room, into the into the clubhouse." To get the sound so that they can go back. Oh, now I understand. I get it. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 was a, that was a pretty that was an eye opening experience. But it was also cool. You know, I'm like 
21 years old in the in the, in the Giants clubhouse. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, okay, that must have been a pretty cool experience for sure. Uh, so uh, let's actually uh, talk about the big news that happened yesterday, which is the Giants signing Carlos Rodon to a two-year deal, one-year opt-out, which is actually a, a, the a pretty interesting piece of this contract because. If he goes gangbusters and is, uh, uh, you know, a, a top pitcher like he was last year, he's literally gone. So they they sign him with the idea of it's a shorter deal, it's uh, friendly for both sides. But for him, if he is, uh, if he is a the 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 player that he thinks that he is, it's essentially a one year deal. And for the Giants, they would hope that. But that second year is there just in case maybe. You know, the, the, the reason why he's he didn't get a long deal right out of the gate is because of these health concerns. Jeff, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, uh, and you brought up some good points. I thought it was a very good deal for both uh, team and player in that the team is sending a pitcher – uh, through his age 30 season, if he stays for two seasons. So they're, they're, they're literally just paying him for his two, for two peak seasons. They're not, you know, they're not really buying into his progression years that, that you typically get with a long-term contract. And then on the player side, uh, Carlos Rodon uh, clearly wants to go back into free agency to receive an even bigger pay, uh, payday. So this is kind of like the, um, trying to think what the, what the right analogy is. Um, it, it's kind of like the, I can't think of it. Something about a carrots. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, that, that, that's what it is. He, uh, he's he's planning on entering, re-entering free agency. Um, you know, uh, after this season, hopefully, if he has a really good year, uh, he's going to be looking at you know potentially getting a four or five year deal. Um, but he's going to have to prove that he can he can stay healthy. I mean, that's been an issue throughout his career. Um, I, I made note of it yesterday that he's only made over 25 starts just uh, once in his career. And, you know, he's, he's not necessarily um, – uh, he, he hasn't proven to be a workhorse, and I think that's something that he's going to have to prove in a Giants uniform if he wants to get that really, really big payday. Um, so, I, I mean, if you're looking at the Giants rotation right now, they basically substituted Kevin Gosman with Carlos Rodon. And Rodon and, and Gosman, I mean, they're similar in terms of uh, impact. I mean, they, they both proved to be top arms in baseball last year. Uh, but the, the big question mark is going to be, can, um, can Rodon lead the rotation like Gosman did last year? I think Gosman made 32 or 33 starts. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to be the expectation with Rodon. Um, I think they're looking at him to make closer to 25 starts just because – that's kind of what he's proven that he can do. But if he makes more, that's great too. Um, so, I, I mean, it's a good deal for, for both team and player, the giants, they, they, they get him for two peak years and then he's off the books. Um, and then it may only be one year if he has a really good season and chooses to opt out. So, you know, a really smart move by the front office and, and a good deal by uh, Carlos Rodon. Uh, he's going to be motivated to uh, pitch as well as he can, just because uh, he he wants to get another payday, this is this is hopefully just the beginning for him. So, as Giants fans going forward, when it comes to pitching, can we pretty much expect this uh, one two year deals? Disclafani uh, a, a three year deal, which is you know blew everybody out of the water. We just gave a pitcher a three year deal. Wow! I know that this is kind of a, a weird off season. We had sure. um, you know free agency chapter one and now we have free agency chapter two but you know so some of the guys were already off off the books at that point uh signed with team scherzer or whatnot so the giants had their their pick of rodon um you know uh, kikuchi was out there as well um rodon with the the two-year deal do we see that going forward as giants fans yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting um, the way that the Giants have approached this offseason, because I, I mean, if we look at the front office, they're still relatively new. And we're still trying to, to kind of understand how they operate. Um, but they, they did seem hesitant or reluctant to hand out a five-year deal to a guy like Kevin Gosman, because I think Gosman's entering his age 31 season in 2022. He has some mileage on his arm. Um, and and I, I mean, word came out you know, from Kevin Gosman himself just a, a couple of months ago that uh, the Giants didn't even make an offer. So I, I think this is what to expect 
in that they're probably going to be offering one, two, or maybe three-year deals for pitchers. I'd be surprised if they go any further than that. But, you know, in terms of the guys that they brought in, it is interesting to compare this offseason to a couple last offseason or two offseasons ago where the Giants are investing in guys who had good seasons in 2021, most of them with the Giants, like the Scafani and Alex Wood. But then you have Alex Cobb and Carlos Rodon, Carlos Rodon and they both had really good seasons with, with, the, um, with the Los Angeles Angels and the Chicago White Sox, respectively. So um, it, it's interesting that they're buying uh, players who did well last season as opposed to a couple of seasons ago, whereas if you look at who they brought in it, before the – 2020 season it was Kevin Gosman who was non-tendered by the Cincinnati Reds Drew Smiley who I think he was who was he with he was he was designated for assignment in 2019 by the Rangers and then I think he landed with the Philadelphia Phillies and then they also brought in uh, Trevor Cahill coming off of a bad season Tyler Anderson was non-tendered um, so it, it's different uh, you know the, the caliber of pitching that they're bringing in now given the season that they had last year, uh, they, they obviously see this as an opportunity to kind of open up that window. And with the guys that they're bringing in, they're hoping that they're going to be the ones to do it. Well, and then also last year, the beginning of the season, uh, or before the season started last year's free agency, the Giants also stocked up on, uh, you know, a lot of pitchers on minor league contracts. Sure. So so yeah. we're going to see a lot of that, I think, going forward, too. We're gonna, I mean, we could see a, a you know, 15-man rotation by the time <laughs> it's all said and done to save some arms. <laughs> Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top notch thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. It's, a, it's an yeah. interesting strategy because the way, the way that I look at it, I think if you trust in your ability to scout and draft and find, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the international piece of this in a little bit, but if you, if you trust in that, the ideal, I think is to turn arms into longer-term deals before they get into free agency. So sort of the Madison Bumgarner uh, thing. And then you can also add, like, the folks on on shorter deals, and, and you sort of become this, uh, this place where agents may trust, look, we didn't have a great season, we need to go to someplace like San Francisco because we trust that they will help you turn it around. And so if you if you can bring in the young pitchers from the draft uh, and get those folks ready to be productive, and then you sort of have this additive of your free agents are not going to be the Johnny Cueto types because they got burned or the Barry Zito types, which we got burned, but we won some world series. So, yeah. uh, so, so that that's okay. But I think it's a very interesting strategy. And if it works out well, because of how the, uh, the way that teams spend money and such, I think it is a, a really a perfect mix because, you know, they're not going to spend like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox may spend though. Those, some of those teams are, are kind of pulling back on those deals too. So I, it feels like this really interesting strategy that if it works really well, I think you have this perfect, uh, perfect s- scenario and synergy with, with the way that you you bring pitchers in. Yeah, I, I mean, and you brought up a good point about, um, you know, uh, agents and players seeing San Francisco 
uh, especially on the pitching side, seeing San Francisco as a way to reestablish value uh, over the past few seasons. You don't have to, I mean, it's easy to identify the pitchers who have greatly benefited uh, from being in San Francisco. Kevin Gosman is obviously example, you know, exhibit a, but then there's guys like Drew Smiley, Drew Pomeranz, um, Alex Wood, Anthony DiScafani. I mean, money talks. And these guys, they, they come to San Francisco, you know, after a really poor season, whether it be from performance or injuries or a combination of both, and they perform well, and they go out in a free agency and they get a pretty substantial contract. So, I, I mean, I think from the agent side and the player side, uh, p- pitchers are seeing San Francisco as, as a destination uh, as as a destination to reestablish their value. And then, of course, the fact that they play half their games at Oracle Park, which is one of the more pitcher-friendly uh, ballparks in baseball. I mean, it's it's it, they really don't have to do a ton of recruiting at this point because I think there's there's more interest in people going to San Francisco or pitchers wanting to go to, going to San Francisco. They, they just they, – there's, there's obviously going to be interest just based on how guys have – you know, we have their value and, and gotten paid as a result. And then, you know, to your note about the Dodgers and how they, you know, how they operate. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think who's in their rotation right now um, outside of Kershaw, who's on a one-year deal that, but basically it's guys that they've, that they've drafted. I mean, you look at Walker Bueller, uh, I mean, Kershaw, of course they drafted as well. Uh, I think 15 years ago at this point, uh, <laughs> but then there, there's Walker Bueller, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, yeah. Um, these guys have been pretty, pretty impactful arms. And, and I think they, you know, if they feel like there's a right, the, the right arm to bring in, they can do it. But the fact that they're drafting and developing this, these players and bringing them up, I, I mean, obviously uh, drafting and development has its, you know, it, it's a cost-effective strategy because the first few seasons, these pitchers, you know, they're not, uh, many of them are not making close to market value because of how the, current rookie contract is, is structured. So, I mean, the, the Dodgers, uh, as much as we don't, <laughs> as much as we want to dislike them just because they've been our rivals for years and years and years, it, it's hard to argue with the results. And I, I mean, the fact that they're able to bring in guys like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, they haven't brought in Freeman yet, but obviously as of last night, they were, they were talking and word was that talks were intensifying. Um, they have, you know, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, all of these guys. The reason that they, they have all this flexibility to do so is because they're drafting and developing uh, players and, and also finding hidden gems like like Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, guys that they got for pretty much nothing. So, I mean, no, no team, has, no organization has been run better than than the Dodgers, as hard as, as it is to say over the past uh, 10 plus seasons. And, and the reason that they're, they're able to spend as much as they can now is because they are drafting and developing these guys. They're finding these pitchers in the draft uh, that they don't have to hand out, you know, substantial contracts to. Yeah. Brad and I have talked about, you know, while we dislike the team, we also want to sort of be a carbon copy of how they do business. And uh, it, cause it is, you know, you, you look at how they compete every year and no team has competed like how they've competed in baseball you know, over the last X number of years. Uh, okay, so I have one more question about uh, the pitching staff, and then we'll sure. try to change gears and, and talk about your article on Suzuki. Um, so we have five. The, the five, you know, there's five-man starting rotation, but as we know, and as Brad has talked about before, they're looking for 162 starts is kind of the, the language that they've used. So five-man rotation, great, we'll start. But, you know, there's going to be tons of, guys who get injured and guys who get tired and just by them put having faith in, in their ability to keep Rodon healthy. Like you said, it's 25 starts. It's not 32 starts. So they're going to have to fill in. Is it possible to pick up another starting arm or are they just exclusively looking for guys who may, you know, be currently start the season in the minors to come up? Could it be, uh, a, a jelly who comes up is that kind of what they're looking to do to replace the starts that they know they're going to miss with the staff that they have yeah i mean i, I think it's going to be a combination of both if you look at their rotation currently and i was just about to put this out before i before i jumped on with you guys and and i didn't get a chance to run the numbers but um if you're looking at the starts of of each of the pitchers that they have right now Cobb, Webb. um would Scafani and Rodon over the past 
three seasons, they they probably combined give you 140 starts or 135 starts. I haven't run the numbers yet, but uh, but I will. Um, that means that there's a deficit of close to 30 games that they need to find starts for. They could do bullpen games. They could rely on what, who they have internally, like Sean Jelly, Tyler Beatty, um, and Sammy Long. And I think Sammy Long is a guy that they that they value uh, internally pretty highly. Uh, Tyler Beatty is in, in an interesting position because he is out of, out of options, so he's going to have to win a job at a camp. Um, it's going to be possible, especially if somebody hits the injured list. Um, happens every year. So, um, uh, but I, I think to your point and, and to your question, I think they're still going to be looking at the free agent market for non-roster guys, uh, especially on the reliever side. They're going to bring in more non-roster relievers like they did last year. They had a bunch of experienced arms. They're going to they're going to do that. It's going to be hard though, um, it, because their bullpen's in a different position than it was last year. Um, there were so many open spots, but if you're looking at the bullpen this year, I mean, it's pretty much full because guys like Camilo Duvall and Jake McGee and all these guys, Jose Alvarez, Harlan Garcia. I mean, they, they have, they, all these guys have pretty established roles. Um, so I, I think they're still going to be looking at, uh, at starting pitching at free agency. It's going to be hard um, just because they have five guys on guaranteed deals. Um, that doesn't mean that, that they're not going to be able to find uh, somebody out there. Um, there's a name I like a lot um, as as kind of a Simon Stash type of player, and that's Danny Duffy. He pitched for the Kansas City Royals last year. The Dodgers at the deadline. He had a really nice season with the Royals. He was injured, um, but he's also not going to be healthy um, up until June. So, you know, spring training is starting right, you know, in, in about a week or so. And at that point, the Giants and baseball should be able to use the 60-day disabled list. So. They could sign him, put him on the 60-day disabled list. That takes him off the 40-man roster, so he's not holding up a roster spot. So um, he's somebody that I like um, as uh, as a pitcher who can help you uh, down the stretch. Maybe he gives you 15 starts in uh, July, August, and September, and I think that would be a win. Um, but he's also going to command a, a pretty significant contract for somebody who's going to miss you know, half the season. And then I, I'm thinking of a. I'm trying to think of who would be a fit, uh, based on you know who's currently on the Giants roster. And there's one name that kind of stands out, and he used to pitch for the Giants, and that's uh, Yasmiro Petit. Um, and the reason I say that is because he's legend. He's the, the yeah. He's he's a legend. He's the prototypical you know bulk innings reliever. He can he can move seamlessly between the the bullpen and the rotation. And I think the Giants, you know, if, if you can have like a Bulkanian's arm in the bullpen and somebody gets hurt, you can just slot that Bulkanian's arm into the rotation if that happens. So he, he's a guy I like because, he you know, the Giants have experience with him. He's, you know, he can handle a pretty heavy workload. And, and he's he kind of does what the Giants like in a pitcher in that he's, you know, he's not going to blow you away with a fastball or anything like that, but he, he tends to get a pretty decent amount of strikeouts, doesn't hand out a lot of walks, and I think he typically gets a pretty good ground ball rate, and that's kind of the uh, current Giants archetype for a pitcher right now. All right, let's talk about this uh, article on Suzuki because th- this is the guy that that Brad and I have circled on our list for pretty much from the end of the season, and, and especially once Buster Posey retired. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, and we've we've brought a bunch of people on this show to talk about uh, Suzuki as well. So you wrote that uh, it sounds like they're sort of one of the the top five teams who have interest in him. Uh, I know on Grant Grant Brisby's list, he was number one. Rodon was number two. How? I, I guess likely is the wrong word, but um, the Giants have have in the last few years historically been in on some really high-valued guys going back to uh, Stanton, Bryce Harper, but they've, they've finished in the runners-up position. In this scenario, Suzuki fits so perfectly, it almost feels like they have to go and get him. But what is your expectation here when it comes to you know where, the, where they finish with Suzuki? Yeah, I mean, the Giants uh, over the past few years, especially looking at the international market, they, they always find a way to finish in second place. And I don't know if that's that's intentional or not. But, um, you know, if you look at a guy like Seiya Suzuki, I mean, he's a right-handed hitting outfielder. The Giants certainly have a need for another right-handed hitting outfielder, given that, 
you know, they have Darren Ruff and, and Austin Slater from the right side now field. So they, they probably need a third bat to complement them. Um, but you know, he's, if, I mean, he, he's a, he's a fit for just about every team in baseball and that's what makes it so hard to, to predict how he might, uh, land with the giants, but he's also, you know, he's got that perfect combination of great bat to ball skills, good play to play discipline and, you know, enormous, enormous power. Like he, he, you know, he has an idea of what he can do damage against, uh, when he's up at the plates. And um, I, that's obviously something that the Giants value pretty highly. I mean, they, I think if you look at their um, – there, there's a metric out there. It was the uh, – I'm trying to it, – it's, it's called ozone percentage. And it's basically a percentage that shows uh, how often the Giants swung at pitches outside of the strike zone. That's where the O comes, comes in. Uh, some of the better teams in baseball have the lowest ozone percentages. I think the Giants were – you know, they, they had the third lowest percentage. So, I, I mean, I, I expect – and that number, I don't think it's available for Seo Suzuki because his numbers are from the NPB and and they're, they're just – it's the, those stats aren't readily available uh, yet. But, you know, for a guy who walks – you know, who, who has a history of walking at a rate of like 15% and striking out at a rate of 15%, I mean, that's a phenomenal number. And I think um, to go along with the power, he, he does – do uh, it, I mean he he approaches his approach at the plate definitely fits with what the Giants want and the question is going to be what what is it going to cost the Giants or what is it going to cost any team um, it, it, and that's hard to predict because um, for what it's worth MLB trade rumors had them at, had Seiya Suzuki's contract at five years and fifty five million so we're talking about eleven million AAV. Um, and that's something that the Giants could certainly absorb I mean they have they're they're still about I think $85 million below the competitive balance tax. Uh, so they have plenty of financial flexibility to get it done. Money shouldn't be an issue as to why the Giants um, don't land Suzuki. Um, I, I mean, I, I think for him, it, he's going to be looking for his the best fit. But I think for the Giants, at least, they're in a position where they can spend. And, um, you know, I, I don't if, – if he's the top target, I don't think money should get in the way of that just because of – where they're at from a payroll standpoint and uh, you know, how much, how much space they have remaining. So um, obviously he's a fit for the giants, but he's also going to be a fit for the Cubs or the Seattle Mariners or the um, Los Angeles Dodgers. Obviously that they, they've been connected to him, but with Suzuki pretty much the entire off season, there's been a lot of smoke connecting the giants to him. So I, I mean, at, at this point it's, I don't know how much substance is behind those rumors, but it just feels like where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, so I, I mean, that, that's kind of how I see it. I think the giants are, are seem interested in him, uh, his, his posting window, he has 20 days to kind of figure it out because his posting window began 10 days before the lockout. So we should have a conclusion or a resolution within the next couple of weeks with Suzuki. All right. So the, just, uh, before we recorded, I saw this tweet from Alex Pavlovich, and he sure. said he said that uh, Kapler said Giants won't use one DH. Guys will rotate into spot, and usually the guys who are not as valuable defensively, he won't really miss pitcher at bats, saying it was really stressful during games to worry about pitchers getting hurt. And so at the top of the show, Brad mentioned uh, that the MLB Network put together what they perceive to be the Giants' starting lineup. And mm-hmm. so putting that quote... And then looking at this starting lineup, which they project to be Lestella, Belt, Crawford, Wade, Longoria, Yastrzemski, Ruff, Duggar, and Bart. I don't – that, that uh, Zadie's quote kind of scares me because, uh, it, you know, there, there are bats out there. We, Suzuki's one of them that we talked about. But there are other bats out there uh, specifically who may not be great defensive players who you could plug in because that lineup, the, 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 what, what I just said – it, it doesn't look like it's uh, a lineup that is going to scare everybody. Now, it's not too dissimilar from what they did last year, but they were so masterful last year at getting production and using uh, and using a lot of the you know the 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 just the ability to 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 put in a bunch of left-handers or, or to put in a bunch of right-handers depending on who was pitching. Now, I think for fans, it's like, yeah, 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 we did that last year. But it is also nicer to to feel comfortable that you actually have some power bats in the lineup, especially when you exit the playoffs the way that they did last year. 
Do you have any thoughts about the lineup and, and of what uh, Kapler was talking about when it comes to using the DH? Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you're looking at what the lineup is going to be um, on opening day, we're, we're kind of talking about an incomplete picture at this point because free agency is still going on. Um, with that being said, I, and I wasn't sure if that lineup that you posted had Wilmer Flores in there, but if it didn't, I, I expect him to get a lot of at-bats at DH. Um, and it's not because he doesn't have value on defense. He does. He's pretty versatile. He gives him a little bit of coverage at second base and third base and first base as well. Um, but I think, I mean, obviously they're going to be, they're, they're going to be rotating, right? They're, they're going to be using guys like Ruff, uh, Flores, and probably Brendan Belt as well, who, you know, you, you want to keep him as fresh as possible. He's known for hitting the injured list pretty much every year. Um, and that's not a knock on him. It, it's just, it, it's just reality at this point. He's 30, he's heading into his age 34 season, I think. Um, but, you know, with that being said, it was interesting that Foreign Anxiety said yesterday that the Giants are still targeting, you know, a, a hitter. And it's not necessarily a right-handed hitter that they're targeting. And it's it's interesting that they said that because that really opens the field. They can, at that point, they can look at guys like Kyle Schwarber, who mm-hmm. doesn't give you a lot of defensive value, but he gives you a lot of power in the, in the batter's box. He has really good play discipline. He, I mean, he honestly, he's, he's the three true outcomes type of player, right? He either walks, strikes out, or he hits a home run. And and I know the Giants saw it firsthand last year when he was with the Nationals for a little bit. They had a series where I think Schwarber hit like three or four home runs. Yeah. And um, he just he got he got hot and then he never really cooled down after that. So, you know, I, I guess shout out to the Giants for making that happening, make, making that happen. But um yeah, if you start to look at left-handed batters like they they indicated, I mean, they could really go in a number of different directions if if they if they don't get Seiya Suzuki, they could go after Shorber. They could go after Michael Conforto. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of flexibility in what they can do Uh, just because the way their lineup is constructed, it's just, no one's really set in stone in any one role. Um, So, I mean, if you're looking at who's the, who's going to be the DH, I mean, it could be Darren Ruff, but I I don't think his defense was, um, I, I, I don't recall what the, the defensive metrics said, but, you know, just from the from the eye test, he didn't look that bad when I saw him in outfield last year compared to where he was a few years ago with the Phillies, where you know you, you just kind of hit him on off, hit him on defense, and hope the ball didn't get hit to him. But I think he was he was actually pretty good last year, and, and he showed off a pretty good arm for a left fielder. Um, so I, I mean, if you're looking at uh, who's the who's going to be the DH, it could be you know any, it could be Darren Ruff, it could be Slater, it could be I mean any number of guys, but. Uh, at this point, they're probably going to add another bat. And, and then once they do, we'll kind of have a better idea of who they might um, use as the DH. So, um, and I also, I, I don't know if the Giants really have um, really super below average uh, uh, defenders. I mean, most of them are pretty much average enough or that they can, uh, um, that, that they can, you know, they don't have to rely on them to be at any one position long enough to get exposed. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's not necessarily that they have bad defenders, but, um, you know, I, I think uh, looking at it now, they, they probably have a couple of guys that they can uh, slot in a DH pretty easily. All right, before we move to the lockout stuff, because I know Brad has some questions for you. Now, uh, uh, I think you already sort of put on your Nostradamus hat with your <laughs> Danny Duffy thought. Uh, is there anybody else? Like if if you were to say, you know, here's one guy that they will get and preferably uh, a hitter. Um, is there one person that you would say, ah, you know, if, if I was to place a bet, it would be this guy. Uh, I, I mean, there are so many options and it's hard to, hard to place a bet. I, I really don't know what they're going to be looking at. Um, uh, in terms of position players, um, but I did write a couple weeks ago that I feel like Andrew McCutcheon might be a, a pretty decent fit from the right side. I mean, he's over the past few years, I, I don't know if he's a starting player at this point in his career. He's, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30, as they say. His defense isn't as great as it used to be. Um, but one thing that he does do well still, and he's and he did it in 2021, uh, he he hits left-handed pitching well, and, and the Giants have proven over the past few years since Gabe Kapler took over as, as the manager, that they leveraged those platoon matchups pretty hard. And a guy like McCutcheon, who had like a OPS over a thousand against them 
or against left-handed pitching. I mean, that's somebody who could give you a lot of value in the lineup. Um, but the problem with uh, getting a guy specifically uh, to hit against left-handed pitching, I mean, th- some teams don't have lefties in their rotation and, and you know, they're, they're going to be dry, uh, dry spots. Like what we saw with Austin Slater, a couple, um, I think he was in June. He, he went basically a couple of weeks without playing because they just didn't face any left-handed starting pitchers. So uh, that, I mean, that's tough, but uh, I think, I, I mean, it's, it's just so hard to place a bet as to who they might go after. Um, but I mean, Tommy fan kind of does what they like in the batter's box. He he's relatively patient. He's coming off of a down season. So if they're looking at somebody, uh, a hitter, um, which oddly enough, they, they typically just look at pitchers um, in terms of rehabbing value. But if they're looking at a hitter who's, you know, in a position to sign a one-year contract, I think he's, you know, he's a guy out there. I mean, they, like I said, they can go in a number of different directions. There's, I can talk myself into about 10 different guys that they could, um, <laughs> that, that they could end up with and, and find out why it makes sense. Uh, okay. So quickly, we'll talk about some lockout stuff. We'll get you out of here. Cause I know you got some stuff to, to publish. Um, but Brad, did you have some questions as it pertained to the lockout for Jeff? Yeah. Now that the lockout is over, we have a new CBA. Um, you, you know, a lot of fans, Probably just it's gibberish and, and I get it too. I mean, half of it is gibberish to me. I just want to see the product on the field for, for, for most fans though, the most important thing for us is, you know, how is the game on the field going to change? And we'll see that going forward because now we have something in place where, uh, you know, they can make a change 40, 45 day notice and things happen. Um, but on the money side of things, you did write a, a really nice article that kind of helped me uh, understand the international draft, uh, you know, and the possibility of an international draft and why most players don't want it. Um, it helped me understand that a little better. Can you go into that a little bit more about, uh, you know, kind of the the past and how the international, um, uh, not really international draft, but the international signing has, has helped the Giants uh, and then how it could hurt some of those players going forward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a great question because it's one of those nuances in baseball that not, not everyone uh, totally understands, but the international free agent market, it takes place. I mean, it used to take place July 2nd of every year. They, they used to be called the J2 um, IFA period. Um, but this year it took place in, on January 15th. And at that point, the giants announced their signings, but every year, every team uh, gets a bonus pool in which they can sign um, international free agents, usually amateur prospects in, in the age range of 16, 18 years old. Um, realistically, they have uh, they have handshake agreements with these prospects years in advance. Um, it's it's kind of crazy, and it's not uh, it, it's honestly not the most um, it's not the, the the cleanest process in baseball, just because there are certain things that happen that that kind of rub you the wrong way. For instance. Uh, specifically to the Giants, uh, this was like, I'm trying to think what year it was, uh, 2014 or something. And maybe it was 2015. Uh, there was a prospect name. Um, I think it was Julio Mort. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. Uh, they had another prospect with the same name, but there, there was a prospect that the Giants had come to a handshake agreement with, but th- this this prospect had multiple agents or shadow agents. Uh, so they thought that they were bringing this guy in. And then uh, last minutes, the, the Cubs came in and they they had an agreement with, with the player's actual agent and then MLB had to get involved. Basically decided that uh, this player was... Um, was going to sign with the Cubs. So the Giants lost, lost on that prospect. So there, there is some shadiness that, that kind of comes with this, to be honest. Um, but the key here is leverage. And the, and the players, especially the, the high-caliber players that you hear about on a yearly basis, they have a lot of leverage in, a, in the international free agent market that you don't necessarily get um, in a draft. And, and, and players do get some leverage. They do get some say as to which – team they might sign with um and you know especially high school players uh drafted early on they're going to have some leverage because they have options but you know on international free agent market you can market yourself to 30 teams and basically the highest bidder is going to get you is going to get you to sign um so uh, every year teams are given a bonus pool of in the neighborhood of five million dollars it's based on things like market size I, i think it's also based on um based on revenue uh, and, and there are pretty stiff penalties for going over that. Um, but 
uh, basically teams use that that five million dollars every year and, and you hear about the high profile names and then every now and again you'll hear about somebody who was signed for you know ten thousand dollars like jose altuve did and he comes up and he becomes a superstar um but also i i mean and there's a perfect example of why the players may not be interested or were pretty reluctant um to an international draft and th- this came up pretty much at the last moment um they had the parameters for a new CBA and then the owners were like, whoa, 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 let's, let's actually talk about this topic that we haven't been talking about the entire time. So, I, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest idea, but the idea behind the international draft is that um, basically uh, all amateur prospects goes, go through the same process. Whereas currently there are three avenues for teams to sign players. They can sign them through the draft. They can sign them as undrafted free agents if there's if they play in the United States and they, they, they didn't get drafted, or they could um, sign them as an international free agent. Now, it, uh, there's a perfect example as to why players might be hesitant against this. And like I said, it's leverage. Uh, if you go back a few years ago, the Giants signed a guy out of the Bahamas named Lucius Fox. He was a shortstop prospect. A lot of people know about him because he was a high-profile signing at the time. He was eventually involved in the Matt Moore trade, What's interesting about Lucius Fox is that he actually came stateside. He came over stateside, I think, when he was 12 years old. So he was playing in Florida. So he was actually in the United States. Uh, When he was talking to prospects, or not prospects, when he was talking to teams as a high school player, he was hearing that he was going to be a second-round pick. Now, at that time, a second-round pick was going to make in the neighborhood of $2 million or less for a signing bonus. And for a lot of players, um, especially guys drafted in the first couple of rounds, that signing bonus, that might be your one big payday in baseball. Uh, so you need to maximize that value as much as you can. Uh, Lucius Fox had kind of a, a unique situation that not every player is going to have. Uh, he moved back to the Bahamas to become eligible as an international free agent prospect. But he basically told MLB teams, I'm not signing. If you draft me, I'm not going to sign. Um but he moved uh, back to the Bahamas to become eligible again uh, in the international free agent market. So instead of receiving the $2 million he might've received as second round pick, uh, he was, he signed with the giants for $6 million instead. So he basically tripled his earnings. And I, I mean, it was obviously a very smart move on his part, but mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why the players are against this because he had the leverage of, of using all 30 teams uh, to, to, um, negotiate for for his uh contract uh at, realistically at the end of the day i think it was between the giants and the dodgers and then maybe one other team they were the highest bidders um but that that type of leverage you you kind of lose in an international draft and i think that's why uh the players are against it um and that i i think they're going to reevaluate whether it's going to be it's going to take effect in a couple years but that was a pretty i mean it, it makes sense as to why the players wouldn't want it um because, you know, you get one chance at a big payday and you, you really got to take advantage of it. Yeah, and that makes sense. Now, from a fan standpoint, I'm not sure if I honestly care either way if there's a draft or not. I'm, sure. actually, kind of, I, I'm actually kind of leaning towards there being a draft. But, but you explaining it and me reading your article, uh, kind of now, now I'm torn. Now I'm not sure what to do because, yeah, I don't – do we want to really take away the chance – for these players to leverage themselves, uh, market themselves to, to 30 teams. I mean, just because they're coming from another country, it doesn't mean they need to get thrown into the U.S. system. Um, they have the chance to also go play anywhere in the world, really, when it comes yep. down to it, just as any baseball player does. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and that makes sense. And, I, again, torn. I don't know which side I stand on. <laughs> you know what's interesting is – you know, we, we've talked about this a lot on, on this podcast, which is how do you market the game so that you're keeping up with the NFL and the NBA and your fan base isn't just consistently growing older and older and older and older? Now, if you were to combine the collegiate or the amateur draft with the international draft, you could make superstars in the same vein. Well, maybe not exactly as football and baseball because those guys aren't going to necessarily start for you right away but you could really build up some of your younger prospects very early on if you were to put together these drafts 
and make it just an overall, you know, amateur world draft. I think you could do it in a in a really interesting, fun way, televised event, um, and, and put a highlight, put a put shine a spotlight on some of these players because I don't think they do a good enough job doing it for college no. either. Like you know, Will Bednar, we knew him because of what he did in College World Series. Yeah. But I didn't never heard of him until that one moment. So it's like, oh, God, you know, we got the guy who was lights out in the College World Series. Uh, so I think they could do something there where, uh, you know, you, you just you, you make some of these guys. But then again, the way that that, that baseball works, they're, they're, you're sort of uh, punishing the younger players until they get to a certain age. And so I don't know, maybe 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 they make it up in terms of. Because if you have a if you have a, a spotlight, then you know you have other companies you know who who want to get in early on you because there's some marketing there. But I don't know. I, I just think there's some interesting ideas that uh, and, and great you know Lucius Fox game the system, but it's not like the teams aren't also gaming the system. The Giants just built this giant you know this this uh, academy or whatever in in the Dominican you know, and I'm sure tons of teams are, are doing that stuff. So it'll be interesting to to definitely see where what happens with with that because if you were to guess, nothing's going to change for a little while, right? For at least like a year or two, as far as when they figure this thing out. Yeah, I mean, I think they talked about basically giving themselves a deadline of in, until twenty twenty four to figure out the international draft. Um, so I, I don't know when when that's going to happen. So I, I wouldn't. It's probably not going to take effect next year or the year after that. It, it'll probably take a few years because they just they, there's a lot of details that they have to hammer out. Like who who who's eligible? Um, are they going to keep it at 20 rounds? I mean, baseball over the past few years, and I mentioned this in my article. Um, the owners they they've been pretty big on consolidation. I mean, remember years ago when there was 50 rounds in baseball and, and most of those guys would get drafted, they'd sign, they'd play rookie ball for a year and, and that would be their baseball career. Um, then they bumped it down to 40 and now it's uh, in 2020, they, they did five rounds and now it's back up to 20, but um, it, they've, and uh, of course they've, they've um, reduced the number of minor league affiliates in, in, in major league baseball as well. So um, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of a balancing act. Um and I, I wouldn't expect that it to take effect at any any time soon, but they gave themselves a deadline of until twenty twenty four, I think. All right, Brad, you had a couple more. Yeah, just one more. I would get you on your way because again, some things are happening. I'm not seeing any fantastic breaking news right now, but I, I keep seeing Freeman, Dodgers, <laughs> no, Braves, no. Yankees. So now, 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 Braves, Yankees, Dodgers, Freeman. I keep seeing that on Twitter, and I, I, I yep. nothing's happening yet. But. Come on, Braves, take care of your guy. Yes, yeah, just won the stick yeah, in the World just, Series. Or Yankees, <laughs> or Yankees taking get him out of the National. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That guy scares go. me. Freddie Freeman is a good hitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's just gonna get better. I mean, he's just gonna get yeah. better as years go he, on. Yeah, he's got a great swing. Yeah. So we got the four um the four most unsexiest words put together to come Great. out of the CBA in a long time. I'm going to give them to you. They're super unsexy. Here they are. Pre-arbitration bonus pool. I mean so so it's something that didn't exist. You're not whispering in that in your wife's ear tonight. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'd get punched. No. <laughs> um so so that came out of the CBA. We didn't have it before. The 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 players brought that up, brought it got it in. Um what what did they decide on? 50 million? Is it a I think um, I, that's a good question. I actually don't know what the the exact number was. Okay. Um and I'll have to read up on it. I, I was looking specifically at the increase in the pre-arbitration salaries that they did uh, able that, that they were able to negotiate. Okay. Um, I think in 2021, the, the um, minimum salary was 575 mil or $575,000. So they got it bumped up pretty substantially to uh, over seven, uh, $700,000. And I mean, the thing about the rookie contract and how it's, how it's so team friendly. I mean, those first three seasons, you have very little leverage in terms of negotiating your contract, you're just you're assigned a salary based on uh, some system that I mean, teams employ different uh, raise uh, systems. Oh, there we go. I think so I have it there. Yeah. So, so the pre-arbitration bonus, well, as I understand it, is that it's going to reward players who do what, like a guy like Logan Webb, for example. Um, I'm not sure if he receives Cy Young votes, but 
I think it's one of those things where he would get a nice little payday because of how he how he performed in 2021. Uh, right now, he's making the major league minimum, and he he really has no control over that. Um, at least with this new with, with the new CBA, the minimum salary is going up. Um, and yeah, okay, so seven hundred thousand. But every team has has kind of a system in which they um, issue raises. Uh, during the pre-arbitration years, they have some basically you, you can't do anything about it. So you just assign the salary. You start at seven hundred thousand dollars. The team says we're going to give you a five percent raise over the next couple of seasons. So seven hundred thousand dollars turns into. Um, I, I work in accounting, but I, I need an Excel. <laughs> seven hundred thousand dollars. Let's say it turns into seven hundred twenty thousand dollars, just because that's what the scene the the team says you're going to make. You have you have no real say in it. Um, they just renew your contract. That's pretty much the process. But at least with this uh, pre-arbitration bonus, but it gives you know players who perform massively above uh, market value, massively above what they make. It gives them a little more opportunity to to make a lot of money during that. So that that bonus pool, it's really it. I I'm pretty sure it's performance based, and it might be based on. Um, uh, like the awards votings, like MVP, Cyan, Rookie of the Year. But I think, I think there's, a war, on, there's a war. There, there's a war aspect. Yeah, to it. There, yeah. there's a war aspect to it. So you know, it's right. Uh, it's it, that that's an interesting way to go about it because um, I I wonder if they're doing the Fangraphs war or the Baseball Reference war. I mean, because yeah, there, <laughs> there's slight differences, um, especially on the position player side. Uh, Fangraphs tends uh, Fangraphs includes you know framing for example for catchers that i don't think baseball reference um captures so i i mean it's good that the players have a little more ability to make uh, money based on how they perform so i I think it's i mean it's great for them it's great that they were able to negotiate that it's 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 going to be it gives them a chance to make money during those years i mean and you know kind of on that note um i think the average major league career is four and a half years so I mean, you your career is not even. Yeah, you don't even your your career is typically not even long enough to reach free agency. And if you do, it's because you've been designated for assignment so many times, and and you know you're you've been in the minors for six plus seasons. I, so I I mean it, it just it's you know baseball. Uh, I think um, when guys like Max Scherzer sign, everyone's like, wow, these baseball players make so much money, and that's true. Uh, certain baseball players do, but that's kind of like the the top ten percent or five percent mm-hmm. of baseball. Whereas most guys make the major league minimum or close to it, and this this bonus pool gives them a little uh, extra ability to make some more money, uh, especially factoring in that their career may not be as long as as we typically see with with those high profile guys. Yeah, young players. Co- cozy up to those writers who are voting for these awards, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's why there's the war component as well, because you don't just want it to be the 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 subjective piece of it. So, um, totally. hey, J- Jeff, you, you've been awesome. Thank you for doing this. Uh, gosh, you know, this is like catnip for us, like talking about this stuff with somebody who <laughs> who knows it to the extent that that you do and who covers it like you do. Uh, so let the listeners and, and the view the viewers as well know where they can find you, uh, how they can find your work, anything else you want to, to uh, make public? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can find my work at aroundthefoghorn.com. Um, uh, you can find me on Baseball Jeff uh, on Twitter, on Baseball Jeff one um, I don't really have any other social media um, outside of that, so <laughs> pretty, pretty right. limited in that regard. I, I kind of have a cool piece. It's kind of a different piece that's coming out. Um, I hope to get it out later today. Um, we'll see it, but it's, it's, uh, it, for, for the prospect towns, for the Giants prospect towns, it's, I think it's cool. There, there's, it's going to be different than, than what I typically do. So I have that coming out, but, um, you know, on that same note, we can talk baseball for as long as you guys want. I'm happy that you guys had me on. I love talking Giants baseball. I love that we're talking post lockout baseball. Yes, now. It's, it's yes, exciting. Yes. I don't know about you guys. Um, I shot out of bed yesterday when I woke up because the lockout was over. Like I, I wake up very early because of my dog um, and because of work. So I, I wake up at it's, uh, I wake up at four thirty. Oh my god! Um, yeah. yeah, I know it's crazy. But like, <laughs> as soon as my alarm went off, like I don't know if it was because it was a Friday, probably, um, or if it was because of baseball. But I just like I woke up and I like had a smile on my face. I was energetic at work. <laughs> it's just exciting. 
Well, the uh, the do, getting ready for this show for me, I was uh, I was quite fired up because you know you were talking about earlier trying to create content during this time. So during the pandemic is actually when Brad and I started this show. It's because of the pandemic that we started this show. I've been trying to get this guy to do a podcast for years and years and years because he used to be the the radio voice when we were in college. He was like the guy. And I'm like, how do you not have a podcast? Let's do it. So finally, he agreed. But last year or or during the pandemic, we were like trying to figure out what to talk about. We're like, oh, uh. We're going to create these uh, these tournaments on out of the park baseball and simulate the things and yeah. put them yeah. on YouTube and like talk about them and talk about the teams as we were doing it. So it was pretty creative. But at the same time, you just want to talk about what's going on. You can only talk about the history stuff so much. Yeah, it, it really gets tough. And, and I mean, kudos to you guys for for finding content to, to put together. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's not easy. And it's like one of those things like you know, you're, you're driven because your fandom of the sport and especially yes. mm-hmm. your fandom of the giants. And it's, it's frustrating when you can't think of something to write during a lockout because it's like, well, nothing's happening. And so like, what, what am I going to write about? I'll write about some prospect who the giants had for a minute who signed elsewhere and, and we'll, we'll, we'll call that a day, but yeah. you know, kudos to you guys for figuring out uh, stuff to do because it's not, it's really not easy. And, um, you know, I, I hope uh, uh, people who listen to you appreciate that. And, and I, you know, I, I, I made a note on it a couple of days ago just because, uh, you know, reader viewership has gone down on our site during the lockout. And that was yeah. expected, but I, I appreciate the people who did right or uh, continue to read us. So um, that yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. And you guys should you that that viewership, the readership, uh, the clicks should start piling back up because you are going to have quite the. Just tons of things to write about. Spring training started. They still there's still free agency stuff. The opening opening day is going to be around the corner. There's going to be tons of stuff. So, good luck on everything that you do. And again, much appreciative for you coming on. And if we can do this sometime down the line during the season, that would be awesome. But uh, yeah, so thanks to Jeff. Check Jeff out. Follow him on Twitter. Read his stuff. Also for Brad, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace.